Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another Foul Front podcast. Joining me, per usual, is Thomas from Hoke Outdoors. Thomas, how are you doing this morning, afternoon? Pretty, yeah, pretty good. Just got back from a, a couple days down by the Minneapolis area, uh, down at d- the dog trainers, was uh, dropping off Leroy and uh, got was able to stay down there for a couple days and learn a lot. So, um, yeah, really productive couple days. And now I'm back up here at the call shop and trying to get caught up and uh, get ready for show season, which is just around the corner. Gonna, first show is going to be uh, the uh, Delta Waterfowl Expo here at the end of July. So got just like three weeks until that. So I'm trying to get calls ready and everything uh, everything good to go to head down there. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been I've been busy gardening for the most part. Um, you know, just hoping the hail doesn't take out my <laughs> take out my stuff. I have started. A little bit of scouting, which is going to be our topic today, but we'll get to that in just a second. Um, and I'm actually going to go to, uh, I guess it'd be technically my second waterfowl show ever. Um, I'm going to make the trip down to Rogers weekend and uh, probably run into Josh. I don't know if Jordan's going to be there from Duck Gun Chronicles or not yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to, I've never been to Rogers, so that's going to be pretty cool and see what everyone has new for the upcoming season. That should be a, should be a fun time. They, they do a whole bunch of like food and I think they even have like concerts and stuff. So I'm pretty excited to go to that. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that's a good show. So I think you'll have a lot of fun, fun with that. I was actually listening um, to the MVM show Titus's podcast the other day, and he was trying to convince Elliot to uh, come down to the Delta Expo. So you should, you should send a text to Elliot and see if y'all could road trip down there. If you do, I think it would be, <laughs> I think pretty much everybody except for Jordan uh, would be down there. And maybe even Jordan's going to be down there. I haven't talked to him about it yet. So it'd be cool to have everybody there and uh, see some familiar faces. Well, unfortunately I'm i uh, I'm already got plans that week and that's my uh, annual camping trip with the family. So we're going to do some oh. tubing and some uh, fishing and that's pretty much <laughs> the whole plan for that whole weekend. 
It's just well, tubing and fishing. So I'm looking yeah, forward that, to that. That sounds like a good time regardless. So yeah, that's definitely, definitely worth uh, skipping out on for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So as we kind of previously alluded to, I guess we'll just kind of jump right into it. It is, uh, we're going to talk about scouting for, uh, mainly ducks and geese. I don't know. We could throw doves in there if we really wanted to, but scouting for fowl, we'll just call it that because this is the fowl front after all. And, uh, we'll just jump right into that. I know we had a lot of people ask about this topic and ask us to cover it. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's something we've both wanted to do kind of a deep dive into, um, so with season coming up, you know, just a, a couple months away for most people now, I think it's the right time to kind of start getting in that scouting mindset and uh, maybe even start taking some trips out into the marsh or the swamp or whatever area you hunt around you. Yeah. So I guess uh, let's just start off with right now, this, this time frame. we've got what I would call the preseason timeframe and there is stuff, believe it or not, that you can be doing now and it will help alleviate some of the symptoms of duck depression it won't cure it but it'll help a little bit help get you back in that mindset so uh you know it's currently about mid-july and it's only getting you know as the season progresses you can do a little bit more and more scouting um but right now you can go out you can look for food source um so for like teal for instance you know one of the first things you can hunt one of the first waterfowl you can hunt I'm looking for smartweed. I'm looking for Johnson or barnyard grass. I'm looking for some of that moist soil vegetation as well as wetlands that have water in them. Um, now a lot can change between, you know, there's 45 to 60 days yet before teal season, depending where you are. So a lot can change between now and then, you know, it's, it's summer. It's going to get hot. The wind's going to blow probably some of those days it can dry those wetlands up really quick. So you want to be cognizant of that. So you also want to scout for water conditions. And, you know, that's that's pretty straightforward. And you can also go out and scout for big duck and goose season as well. Now, to, to an extent, you can scout out them reservoirs. You can scout out rivers. You can check, like, water depths. It's a lot easier to deal with a hole in your waders now or fall in the water now than it is when it's, you know, negative degrees out or there's ice and other stuff. So it's a lot easier to go scout those areas out now too. Um, keep in mind some of those, the water levels are going to change in those too. And then uh, finally you can scout fields. You can see at least what it's planted to. So, you know, if it was a cornfield last year, maybe it's not a cornfield this year. Maybe it's soybeans. Maybe it's something completely different. You know, who knows? And then, yep. yeah, sorry, Thomas, do you want have anything you want to add on that? No, not really. I was just going to ask you, when you're doing your, your preseason or summer scouting, are you mainly doing it from the truck, just riding around glassing spots, kind of taking a general overview of the area? Are you getting out and walking into a lot of marshes? Um, are you breaking out your kayak? Or uh, I guess you don't really use a boat much, but are you breaking out uh, the boat at all? Um, what is your kind of, what the what's the tools that you're using for your preseason scouting? Oh, that's, yeah, great question. So a lot of it for at least my teal teal spots, I'm, for the most part, just doing drive-bys if I can. Uh, you know, I just want to see, I might not even be looking at the exact wetland I want to hunt. I'm just seeing what water conditions in that area are. And obviously, if they're dry, then probably most of the wetlands in that area are dry. 
Um, I will put boots on the ground here going forward. You know, we will start getting teal here probably within, I'd say, three weeks. Once we get a nice little cold front that, you know, moves through North Dakota, we usually get a, a little push in August. Um, and then right before, well, if, if we get the cold fronts, we'll have some more show up in September as well. Um, I know right now we have a fair amount of doves around already. I've already scouted some of those out. You know, I've got fields that doves might like to feed in. And um, there's there's some sunflowers growing too. So, they you know, they go nuts over them sunflowers. Uh, so I'm looking at that stuff. And when I go fishing, you know, I'll, I'll take my kayaks. If I want to explore new trips or new places, take my kayaks and just kind of make it a fishing trip. But I'm also scouting for potential spots that might hold ducks and you might see some ducks nesting in areas currently. Um, I know I saw some mallards with some ducklings just in my area last week, which was encouraging to see, but you know, for the most part, we're not big on waterfowl nesting areas around here. They just, it, it's not conducive habitat for the most part. It's mostly farmland, but uh, you know, I, I'm looking for all that stuff currently. I'm looking for, you know, water conditions, potential areas, to check out in the season and then uh, food. Gotcha. Yeah. Like for, for me, it's changed a little bit actually. Um, when I, in the area that I grew up in Virginia, if I wanted to do preseason scouting, I mean, there's stuff that I could check from the road, but for the most part, I had to put boots on the ground any time of year. You know, there's just so many trees back home. Um, a lot of swamp chains surrounded by trees are really what I would focus on hunting. So I was putting boots on the ground in May, June, July, all the way through the summer if I wanted to check for food source. And that's mainly what I'd be checking for. Um, I just want to kind of throw out some food sources. Obviously, you know, I think you'd be best off kind of probably doing a Google search or talking even better, talk to a local biologist if you want to figure out what food sources are the most important for waterfowl in your area. But just to throw out a general list of some common food sources for waterfowl, you're going to be looking for smartweed, wild millet, also known as barnyard grass. Um, up here in Minnesota, wild rice is a big one. You can start looking for acorns this time of year, looking for oak trees. Um, you can look for arrow arum, um, which is kind of a Virginia specific food source. It's, you know, I mean, maybe a little bit bigger area than Virginia, but definitely kind of an East coast food source, but um, it's a, uh, kind of triangle shaped has triangle shaped leaves kind of sprouts out from one area um if you look up arrow arum that's going to be if you don't know what it is just google it but it it kind of looks like duck potato which is another uh, great food source and is kind of more uh common out here in the midwest then you also have duckweed which is a floating food source um and then sago sago pondweed and hydrilla are grasses that grow up from under the water so you kind of have some different things to look for there your smartweed millet um arrowhead those are all going to be kind of moist soil plants you can identify them pretty easily just by walking up to the edge of a swamp and looking out over the swamp and uh taking kind of a general survey versus your duckweed your sago pondweed your hydrilla you're going to need to if it's a pothole or a pond or something like that you're going to probably need to get out in the pothole or the pond uh and kind of take a look at what's growing up from under the water to see those aquatic grasses um and stuff like that so those are kind of the, the things that i look for when i'm scouting during the summer uh versus 
you know, up here in Minnesota, I can do a lot of scouting just from the truck. You know, I've taken a couple, I call it scouting trips this summer, really just driving around with the dog, looking for places to train, but uh, kind of, you know, taking a big loop out into an area that I've never checked out before and just looking for um, checking out kind of some Onyx pins that I already had, looking for potholes and stuff that look good on private land and dropping pins if I see areas that look like they ha would produce good duck food. So uh, it has changed a little bit for me. You know, all my summer scouting used to be pretty much on foot. And now in Minnesota, I can do most of it from the truck. Yeah, yeah, that makes it nice. So I guess a couple other things we can touch on here, things that you can do scouting wise and um, to get you better prep for this upcoming season. One, go online and go online, look at them public areas. I mean, there's no shortage of tools out there. You know, Onyx, for example, there's ones that the state fish and game agencies, they'll publish. Usually they'll have like an Atlas online or something you can look at that identifies those public areas. And it tells you, what species are able to be hunted there generally. Um, and you can look online ortho and stuff too, but you want to, cause it's, it's going to depend how much water appears in those online versus what's in reality, depending on, you know, like the Midwest has been in a huge drought the last couple of years and we're starting to get some water here now, but still in that drought conditions. So there might be a little, there's more water than last year. I'll say that, but you know, is it going to be here when season comes around? Don't know, but you can put boots on the ground, see what it looks like today, and then go back out there. Um, and there's really no shortage of things you can do online. You know, you can identify potential areas, um, spots, you know, that might be sheltered if the, if the water conditions are right, uh, from a North wind, from areas that are bad weather, you can check all that stuff online and then use that knowledge, use those areas those pins or whatever you want to call them and go check them out boots on the ground style drive by or you know just walk out there and see what it looks like so when you're doing that are do you have notes on your phone do you take notes on your on, on physical written notes are you taking any sort of notes at all no um i just kind of i put a pin i you know i just drop a pin and then i can go there and like because I've done it for so many years at this point, you know, checking out orthos and stuff that I, I just know what I'm looking for when I'm looking at stuff online. Like, you know, I want somewhere if there's a Northwest wind and it's snowing, I won't probably want somewhere out of the wind, but maybe that won't hopefully freeze up. Um, or, you know, if it's early enough and not going to freeze up, I just want somewhere out of the wind, somewhere where the wind's generally at my back. Um, if it's a sunny and windy day or just a sunny day, I'm going to try to have the sun at my back. I That doesn't generally work out because, with you know, sun's more in the south side of the sky versus if you have a good cold front, probably going to have more of a north-northwest wind. So sometimes I'll end up facing the sun, but I'd rather, you know, I'd rather play the wind than I would the sun if I can get both of them, which sometimes, you know, if you got a big big uh, storm system moving in with moisture you'll get those south winds so you can play it perfectly where you have the sun and the wind at your back and i mean those those days can be lights out because your hides going to be exceptional and the birds are going to be coming right into you so i'm you know i'm looking at all that stuff um i'm even take you know i'm just kind of seeing 
there might even be birds around there. Like, you know, like I said, those mallards, those were on a wetland. Um, will they be there in three months? Who knows? But there, there's something that the mallards like right now. So maybe if it still has water in three months, I might scout, go back out there and scout and see if there's sign from mallards using it. You know, that's kind of the stuff I'm looking at. Gotcha. Yeah, I I am a note taker. I typically do it just in the notes app on my phone, but like I'll have kind of detailed notes for each scouting trip and then I'll break that up into different spots. And so like if I'm going to go visit a spot multiple times during the summer, I'll have kind of like a little it's not deep, it's not I guess systematic notes as much as it's just kind of bullet points. It's you know, here's what the water level is. Here's the food sources that I'm seeing. Here's the how the level of food source growth, you know, is stuff kind of reaching maturity? Um, is it still early on? Do I think it's going to make it to maturity by the time, you know, winter gets here? Um, kind of little stuff like that, that, you know, at first it really doesn't matter that much. But over the years, you know, if you go and check a spot year after year after year, you can start to really kind of predict what different spots are going to look like based off water levels. So, you know, for little isolated swamps, little isolated ponds, maybe not as important, but like, let's say you're scouting a river system and you're looking at sloughs that come off the river where the water level is controlled by that general river. You know, I'm going to be looking at the USGS gauge for that river before I go out and scout. Um, You can find those online. And then I'm going to be taking notes about um, what the water level is like, you know, either, you know, the gauge height, or I might even be looking at the flow rate. So CFS, and then kind of tying those notes together with what the conditions are like on those water levels. So after years and years and years of doing that, um, you know, I'm kind of finally starting to get to some of the points. So just, you know, kind of before I left Virginia, I was starting to get to the point where I could predict what the Uh, conditions would look like in certain sloughs just based off of what the water level in that river was like during the summer. Yeah. And I guess one other thing, and I guess we can throw this in there now um, because you kind of already touched on it. And it's, it's simply about logging your hunts, you know, online. I've had a hunt journal since 2012. So I've got data from across, (laughs) across the Midwest at this point, 11 That'd be 11 years. Yeah, that'd be 11, going on 11 years, I guess, of hunt data that I've logged in different locations. I, you know, I I log the locations. Now I use the North American Waterfowler app from Elliot. Uh, It makes it really simple. You name your area and you can, you know, check all that stuff. But you can go through and you look at how I did in this area based on these weather conditions. So you can kind of scout for the future based on those years. You know, I'll always preface it by saying this year was a dry year. This year was kind of a wet year. This was, you know, um, you know, so you can, with, with that data over time, you can predict how the birds will hopefully react or where they'll be based on different areas. Now, obviously it's always nice to have more than one area. It's always nice to find new areas. So you keep scouting, don't just, you know, rest on your laurels, so to speak, but having those, having that data from those online journals or just a physical journal is invaluable for scouting, even in the off season. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I'd almost like consider the taking notes as like a funnel, you know, you start off and it's kind of a wide, 
you're reaching pretty wide. You know, like the first year I was really getting into duck hunting. I'm checking out all these spots. I don't really know what I'm looking for, but I'm taking notes. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm just trying to log what I'm seeing. And then over the years, you know, after, during that first season, you're tightening that funnel down a little bit. You're taking notes on what the birds are reacting to, where I'm finding birds, um, what food sources seem to be holding these birds. And then year after year, you're able to make your scouting a little bit more efficient every year by either predicting what the conditions are like so you don't have to go out there and scout as much or by trying to predict when the birds are going to be using it and when you want to go out and scout a particular spot during season. So, um, you know, if you take enough data and, and do enough notes, hopefully you get to a point where you feel like you're kind of at the bottom of that funnel and you've condensed all this data into having a really good understanding of your area and what is going to make birds use a particular spot um, for over another. Yep. At, so, at the end of the day, you know, pressure is something we should probably talk about with scouting because that's a, a part of it too. Um, you know, at the end of the day, pressure is going to, you know, you can have the best best bank of smartweed ever, the best, you know, flooded slough ever. Um, and if it's getting hunted every day of the week, you know, it's just not going to hold birds. So that is something that I would take notes about too. Um, during the season as you're scouting, where you're seeing people hunting, where you're seeing trucks parked, so you can get an idea of uh, what areas of a public land uh, complex are, you know, more pressured or less pressured. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, let's just jump right into during season. I think we hit on the preseason stuff. I mean, it's should be pretty basic, pretty general knowledge. Um, I just want to continue on kind of what you just we're talking about here, Thomas and other hunters, you can scout other hunters. And I know a lot of people do. Um, they call some people, they call them sound scouters. So if you know, you can go out and sit if you're not hunting and you can listen. And if someone's just shooting a lot, they're shooting at something. So, you know, if obvious, if it's an obvious waterfowl area, there's pretty good chance that there's a lot of birds in that area now they could be sky busting so you can't wholly rely on that um but it's a good place to start that you know there's birds generally flying in that area i'm not gonna debate the uh the ethics of this <laughs> i'm sure you know some people probably frown on that um i will say one benefit of using a 28 gauge is the sound doesn't carry as far it's a lot quieter it dissipates a lot faster so it's harder to sound scout when you're using a 28 gauge or, you know, a smaller, a smaller gauge like that. Um, another way to kind of throw them off the scent is hunt by yourself or hunt in small groups. If you have a big group, you're going to spend more time out there. You're going to take more shots. You're going to have more volleys and it's going to be easier for people to find your location. Whereas if you're hunting solo or you're hunting one or two group, you know, max, it's, uh, less sound, less opportunity for people to hear exactly where you're hunting. So you can, you can fool the sound scouters as well. And another thing you can scout for if there's not people there, and this is more on public land than private, but look for shells. You can look for shell casings. And, uh, this is, you know, obviously everyone should pick up their shells, uh, you know, be, be, do your part, be a conservationist as a hunter. But unfortunately there are those that do not do that. So if you can find areas where there are a lot of shells, obviously there was birds being shot in that area. So pick those up and uh, you'll throw other people off the scent who are also looking for those shells. 
you know, I, I do that quite often. I pick up my own shells so people can't do that to me in addition to, you know, keeping the environment clean, but also pick up other people's shells. So people, there's less likelihood of people coming across this spot. Yeah. I kind of have two things to add on that. Um, for the sound scouting, you know, it's, for sure something you can do is something that I try to avoid just because I feel like it increases the chances of having, you know, people set up close to you in the morning. You know, the odds are if you hear someone burning up a spot one day and you try to go back there the next day, I mean, you never know, but there's a, there, I'd say there's a good chance that they're going to be right back in that spot the next day. And uh, a lot of times if people have a really good hunt in the spot, if they come in there and you're set up there the next day, they're probably going to be pretty pissed off. And there's, I feel like there's a higher likelihood that they're going to have that attitude of, well, this is my spot. You know, I'm going to set up here a hundred yards downwind of you or something like that. So I think that's just something to take into account. If, uh, if you do hear people burning up a spot, um, you know, maybe try and wait for them to come out of there and talk to them, see if they're going to go back in there the next day, see if they would care if you go back in there the next day, you know, if, obviously if it's public land, they don't have to give you permission one way or not or the other. Um, but, you know, I think it's, I think it pays off in the long run uh, to try and, you know, be cordial with other hunters and um, not necessarily steal other spots, steal other people's spots. I don't know if I would even call boom scouting that, but um, it certainly has an element of that. And then, for uh, the shell thing, one thing I'd also add for that is that just because you find a bunch of shells doesn't mean there was a bunch of ducks shot there. Um, I've found, you know, I've come across quite a few spots, in, especially in Virginia, uh, spots that I know birds weren't, you know, th that a bunch of birds weren't killed there the next day because I was sitting out there watching um, people shoot during the morning. Um, you know, go out there and hunt the next day. There's a bunch of shells there that someone didn't pick up and all they were doing was sky busting. So, um, just because you come across a bunch of shells in the marsh doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's a killer spot. Someone could just be, you know, shooting them at 80 yards as they fly over, headed back to that secret hole in the back of the marsh. Yeah, that both good points. And I guess you can kind of do the opposite on the sound scouting too, is if you, you know, if you want to avoid that, find somewhere far away from there and, uh, you know, you can avoid that confrontation and maybe, you know, everyone can have an enjoyable hunt if you're hunting on public land. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, uh, moving off of that though, cause I mean, that's, that's just some basic stuff, I guess, too. One thing to keep in mind during season is keep scouting. Don't just rely on what you saw in the preseason. Don't rely on what you saw in early season because the birds change, what they want will change. And it's going to vary upon the type of bird. It's going to vary upon the weather. I mean, there's all kinds. And then Thomas already mentioned pressure as well. So, you know, in a highly pressured area, birds are going to seek out those hidden refuge areas. So if you can find those, those could be hidden spots, find where they're feeding. When it's cold, birds are going to seek out more carbohydrate rich areas. Well, I, sh I should preface that more like mallards and geese. They're going to search out in my area, cornfields. So if you can find those areas, find where they're feeding, generally there's going to be some that go back there the next day, or you can find areas along that path that maybe you can run traffic and catch them. So it, it changes and you need to be cognizant of how, what the bird wants and the area's conditions throughout the season. So you can best adapt and, you know, have, that'll help you have better hunts during the season. 
in your area, Matt, do you see, I call it like a natural progression during the season. I know I've seen it in Virginia. I've heard a lot of it, a, a lot about it in Arkansas, where as right when the season comes in, um, you tend to find birds in the bigger swamps, the bigger um, in Arkansas, the bigger timber holes. They're using kind of the more open areas. Uh, they haven't been shot at a lot. They haven't been run up by the boat a lot. They, just ha they haven't had a lot of pressure or disturbance put on them. And then as the season progresses, they're getting shot at more, they're getting disturbed more, and they tend to, you know, later and later in the season, they're seeking out smaller and smaller spots, trying to get away from that pressure, um, you know, smaller holes in the marsh, smaller timber holes. You know, I hear stories about guys in Arkansas in January just trying to find one tree that's fallen over in the timber and calling them down through that opening and the one that tiny little opening where one tree fell over. So I'm wondering, do you see that out in the Midwest? Um, I feel like I didn't really see it in Minnesota much last year, but obviously I only have a one season sample size. So I'm wondering if you feel like you see that in your area. Honestly, it, it seems like our birds are mostly weather dependent. I mean, they, they get hunted good out here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to say that we have a ton of private land and, uh, you know, those guys are, they do pretty good on them, uh, throughout, throughout the season. What, what the birds will do though. And the reason I'm saying it's weather dependent is once it gets cold, we can, you know, we'll lose a lot of birds to the South. And then if it warms back up, we'll get some come back even, um, and they'll, they'll bounce around or they'll find warm water sloughs. If you can find a warm water slough, you're probably going to find some ducks. The only problem is most of them are private. Um, some of them are refuges. So they will pile into there. Um, and their, you know, feedlots are another place they will pile into and you're not getting permission to hunt a feedlot. They, I mean, it's just, it's impossible. And that's when rivers and lakes and everything else is froze up. They're going to go there because the cows will keep it open. They got, they got readily available food. Um, but they, they kind of just find wherever there's open water, you know, we're, like I said, we're just, it gets cold out here. If there's a lot of snow, snow seems to kick most of them out. Um, you know, we were having a really good season last year, about into December had good numbers of mallards. We lost a lot previously to that, to a blizzard. And then it warmed back up. They were starting to get back used to it to different areas where there was still a little bit of open water and another blizzard rolls through and we lost a bunch of them. They all went to they either migrated South or some of them kicked and they went to, you know, places where there was open water. So it, it's really weather dependent in my area, at least um, pressure, pressure can drive them off and it can, I mean, you can watch them specifically in areas where there's a lot of guide services um, you know, on, on private river ground, especially you can watch them bounce around blinds. They'll just pick out pit blinds or whatever people are running. You know, a lot of people leave their spreads out too. So, uh, they get very, very used to that stuff. So there, there is, they, you know, they are educated birds and they will, uh, adapt to pressure, but I'd say weather's our determining factor out here. Yeah, that was kind of the, that was kind of, that was pretty much the take I had on the Minnesota season last year. I mean, you know, by the, by early November, we were starting to get really cold up here and 
it seemed like the scouting actually got easier later in the season just because there's more stuff locked up and um, kind of the way a lot of our public marshes are up here is there's kind of a deep pool right by the parking lot um, kind of the deepest water on the marsh is right there by the parking lot and like by the end of the season all you had to do to really scout was just ride up to uh, the that parking lot and just walk over the dike and check it because the birds had nowhere else to go so it was a different progression as the season went on compared to what I'm used to back home in Virginia I guess I will say you know I've hunted a couple years where we didn't really have much for weather you know we didn't really have the cold we didn't really have the snow um, until the season ended and those years were probably the toughest years because those birds that did stick around they were stale and they those you could tell were a lot more pressured when they have weather breaks like a blizzard it kind of almost resets them if it if you get a you know a good snowstorm or a really good cold snap and then it warms back up a little bit it kind of resets them but if it's just warm and stale for weeks good luck yeah one thing i did want to touch on um kind of for the freeze up stuff um because i think freezing freeze and thaw cycles are something you should really focus on with your scouting and trying to understand where you're at in that freeze up cycle or thaw out cycle because it can make birds more dependable in my opinion um one thing i wanted to just kind of throw out there for the thaw cycle is that a lot of people don't i don't know if a lot of people realize this maybe most people do but your kind of shallow silty areas are going to be the first to open back up so like in virginia a lot of times I guess I shouldn't even say it a lot of times, like every other season in Virginia, we'll get about a week long spell where all your swamps lock up um, pretty much everything except the big rivers and big lakes are going to, are going to be covered in ice. And then the first of those swamps to open back up are typically going to be the the shallowest, siltiest swamps um, because the, the sunlight, especially if you have a lot of days of sunlight, uh, a lot, I guess I should just say a lot of sunny days, uh, it's going to allow that that sunlight's going to hit that mud, warm the mud up, and then kind of melt it up from the bottom. So um, that's something I've had really good success with the last couple seasons, um, identifying, you know, as soon as we kind of get on that thaw cycle, I go out looking for the shallowest um, swamps that I, you know, have pinned around my area um, and scout as many of those as possible, trying to figure out which ones have opened back up and which ones the birds have found. And we've actually had success before trying to almost predicting that, you know, you have a really sunny day and you got high, kind of high temperatures right in the afternoon. And the, that kind of swamp opens up right there in the last couple hours of the day. And maybe the birds don't find it, but go in there the next morning and hunt it. And uh, the birds almost seem to have a second sense about that stuff where um, they kind of figure out that you know hey temperatures got warm enough yesterday let's take that let's take a big flight around the swamp and go look for um areas that have opened back up new food sources and have have had some lights out hunts the last couple of years um doing that yeah so i guess another way to find well to find new spots is follow simply follow the birds if you see a big flock of birds or if you know where the roost is Follow them as they get up off the roost and find out if they're going to a loaf spot that you have access to or, a, you know, a field that you have access to. You know, that you can, um, if you follow them, I'm not saying to hunt the roost, 
that's a whole nother discussion that some people are okay with. Some people are not, we're not going to start that today, <laughs> but find those other areas that they're going to, and you can either catch them between, or if you can get on the spot they want to go to, you can catch them there. And the birds will tell you where they want to be and what they're looking for, depending on the weather. Yep. One other thing I did want to add on the freeze thaw cycle thing. I think I kind of covered the thaw cycle pretty well. You know, you're going to, as the temperatures warm up, birds are going to be moving around more, looking for food sources opening back up. Um, it's going to kind of expand your scouting area. But if you have an idea of what you're looking for, you can narrow it down. Um, on the freeze-up cycle, on the other hand, you know, the amount of available water is going to be getting less and less. Um, things to look for would be, uh, and I know in Virginia, one thing I looked for was beaver dams. Um, it was actually something I kind of picked up from other hunters. There was a river I was hunting uh, for a couple years where I kept on seeing these blinds built right on kind of the downstream side of a beaver dam and i you know i never actually saw him hunting it but the only reason i can think of it um, because obviously you know the kind of the bigger more open water is above the beaver dam but downstream from the beaver dam there was enough current to keep it open for a day or two longer um, and i think that those guys were really what i would call running traffic um, just setting up the setting up their decoys in that open flowing water having good water movement there um, and able to kind of traffic birds as they were leaving areas on the river that were getting froze up and flying down the river. Um, and then one other thing for freeze up is, that I've had personal experience with before is birds holding areas open. So let's say, you know, it could be anything, a swamp, a pond, um, a little slough. If birds are whole, birds will hole up and hold an area open. You know, the more the more birds there are, the more likely they are to stick around and really try and keep an ice hole open instead of migrating or looking for open water. And a lot of times you're probably not going to want to hunt those spots. Um, a lot of times they are going to be the roost because obviously your coldest temperatures are at night. Um, so, you know, a lot of times I would advise to, you know, if you find a spot like that, do what Matt just said, follow those birds, see where they go, see if they have um, you know, a, an area that they're feeding in. But if you are going to try and hunt that spot, absolutely don't go in until light has come up. And that's not even like a general don't bust the roost thing. That's a personal like experience thing. We've tried it a couple times. And if you push those birds off before light, they're going to fly around for about five minutes and they're going to come right back in there. And then if you push them off a second time, they're going to fly around and they're going to leave. They're just going to go look for open water somewhere else. Maybe a couple might trickle back throughout the day, but um, I mean, we've had a couple times where we've had a hundred birds in a little ice hole and push them off and, you know, 30 minutes before light and they fly around, come straight back in, push them off again. Um, they fly around and they're gone for good. And, you know, maybe two or three came back. So uh, just something to think about if you do have an ice hole that you want to hunt a natural ice hole, Definitely try and wait until you get some light because uh, those birds are probably just going to circle it a couple times and dump straight back in. So be ready to throw out a quick setup. You know, really probably just need a couple decoys in there um, and get hidden the best possible and get ready because that's kind of a can be a quick fun shoot if you do it right. Oh yeah. So I guess one other thing I kind of wanted. I think we briefly touched on it, but I want to talk a little bit more about and that is something else to consider when you're scouting is to scout hides and it might be unconventional. You know, you might see birds 
landing out in a field where there is very little cover? Are you going to, will an A-frame work? Will layout blinds work? Is there any kind of terrain or structure that you can use for a hide? You know, I've heard of people you know, using cow decoys or hiding alongside pivot tires. Um, you know, I'm a, I like my stick blinds myself. I like to go out um, and make a blind if there's available structure out there where I can blend in. Or really, I like sitting in cattails. If I can find thick cattails, those are a suitable hide. You sit down low, you need a low profile seat, and then, you know, use the shadows if you can as well. If you're not, if you don't have shadows, if it's a cloudy overcast day, especially with no wind, you're going to want top cover because those birds will pick you out. Those are like the hardest, absolute hardest days to hunt is cloudy and virtually no wind. So you need top cover. You need an immaculate hide on those days. So you, you need to scout out areas where you can hide for different winds, for different weather conditions, and that will help you bag more birds as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and one thing I feel like I see you do is you're very um you're very dedicated to your hide. Like you seem to you seem to do a really good job of scouting that hide out like you're talking about and then having a really solid understanding of what you're going to need to do to get hidden to the appropriate level in that spot and like giving yourself enough time to get to get that hide built or to figure out um you know setting up an a-frame in that spot or something like that so is there like any is that something that's just been trial and trial and error trial and error or are you trying to like give yourself enough of a buffer like i know you know, I try and always add 30 minutes on to how long I think I'm going to need to get set up and try and get there, you know, 30 minutes prior to kind of that time that I would need to, you know, be set up before shooting light. You know, I, I don't, I, I virtually don't sleep during hunting season. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'll set my alarm and I'll try to get some sleep and I'll still wake up before my alarm. So as soon as I'm up, I'm like, I might as well go, go out and then I can uh, work on a better hide situation or find a better spot, you know? So um, it, it's been a little bit of trial and trial and error. And, you know, some, some hides haven't been the greatest, um, but they, you know, they've got the job done. I, and other ones, you know, tried different things last year, for instance, there was some thick sedges and they were, I don't know, about chest high on me. And I decided I was facing the sun and i decided i was just gonna sit right in them because the wind was right kind of right at my back over my back shoulder i would say and i'd rather you know like i already said i, I want the wind rather than the sun i'd I take both if possible but i decided to set in these in these sedges looking at the sun and those birds didn't know i was there because i stayed below the shadow line and if you can do that you know shadows are your friend on a cloudy day I probably wouldn't have even tried that, but on a sunny day, shadows allow you to hide a lot better. So, you know, look for the shadows. That's a huge, huge um, thing for hides. And then just, you know, look for, look for natural areas. And another thing, like, I mean, we, and we could, we should do a whole episode on hides. Cause I feel like this, it warrants a whole thing, but like what you and I think it was you and Jake did when you guys hunted that mud bank or something, yeah. Did you you expanded the tree line or something cuz you you scouted no, you, or was that that was that was um yeah that was Aiden Aiden um, and Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Well, what they did, so they they scouted 
there was trees. There was trees, tree lines, and there was boat lines all around them. Boat lines stuck out like sore thumbs because it was a drought year. The place they were hunting was lower, so it was all just exposed mud banks. But they noticed there was patches of trees around. So they made a hide that simulated that, and they extended their hide out. And so, you know, and that's, they, they scouted that out the day before and that they kind of came up with that plan. So that's, that's, you know, why scouting is important. And they were probably the most successful people out there that day. Yeah, no, they, they were by far. Yeah. I think that would almost like that whole trip would almost be a good episode to do like a case study of and like have, have everybody from that trip on. Cause like, there's a lot to learn from that. I think that was one of the most ingenious kind of hide ideas I've ever heard. Um, and I think me and Jake would probably both have a lot of things to say about things we wish we would have done differently there. So um, I think I'd like to like to save that. And, you know, if we kind of run that back this fall, do some podcast talking about the previous year or just have them on as guests here in the near future. Oh yeah. I think, I think we do need to have a hide hide discussion, but We'll get back on the scouting here. So yeah. I think one one thing I do like to do, and I think this is more conducive for the, you know the kind of the weekend hunter guy, the guy that does, might not have time. You know, he's he's got a family, and little Timmy has band every day or football practice or whatever. So you know he 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 doesn't have time to scout. He's you know he's working his nine to five, and then he's got to take kids around and do all that stuff. Be a dad or be a, a, a mom, whatever, you know, whoever, whoever's going out hunting. Um, for those people, I would recommend doing something like a scout hunt where you just take a smallish decoy spread that is pretty adaptable, just kind of a generalized spread. And you just try an area, you know, you know, there, there's no shame in doing that. I've done that a lot. And you learn a lot from that. You might not be on the X, you might not be on the spot where the birds want to be. Maybe you'll bag a bird. Maybe you won't, but you'll learn a lot. You'll learn, you know, what, what, if there's birds in the area, are they working on that spot? Are they going to a different spot? Um, and you know, if you've got slow periods, don't be afraid to get out, walk around, look for sign, look for birds. Um, there's, it's a good way to scout if you don't have the time to scout. And if you don't want to take, you know, take a whole day and scout. Um, I, I, I've found a lot of great places scout hunting. I've had good spots or, um, you know, good times, good hunts, I should say on scout hunts where I tried a new spot that I've never tried before. And I've also had times where I got skunked, but I learned a lot both times. So, um, that, that's another tool, uh, in your arsenal. Yeah. I, I really enjoy scout hunts. I think kind of, one thing you said is 100% true in my opinion is just like to be adaptable and pack lightweight on a scout hunt don't get bogged down and then another thing I think is kind of a key to having a successful scout hunt is just to have the right mindset you know look at it as I'm exploring instead of I'm hunting Um, obviously you know if you find the birds you know you switch that mentality very quickly and and try and get on those birds but um, as you're going into it, don't think of it as, you know, I need to go out and shoot a bunch of birds today. Um, think of it as I want to go out and learn this area. I want to go out and try and take notes or, you know, take 
either mental or physical notes and just try and get a better understanding of what this area looks like and where the birds are using this area if they're using it at all so um yeah just be adaptable and be flexible with it you know if you don't see birds in the first hour or two you know maybe switch spots it kind of depends on the weather and stuff like that you know we could go talk for you know a long time just about you know how weather affects when birds are going to use an area and that's probably a topic for another day but um, definitely I would just say in general be flexible um, on a scout hunt and be ready to uh, switch things up very quickly yep yep and what I mean I guess what I mean by that is you know when you're packing your truck or whatever you're taking out to wherever you want to hunt you know take some goose decoys take various species of duck decoys take a spinner maybe don't put it out maybe you do um take a jerk rig take a motion ducks thing you know you you never know what you're going to need you don't have to take a bunch of decoys out to kill ducks though like you, you don't need that you don't need a bunch of decoys to kill geese so just take kind of a general just a small general um sample size for species that are common in your area um you know like we have coots in my area we have bunch of different kinds of ducks geese even if it's not goose season i'm probably taking a pair of geese out just because they're that prominent and it's kind of a confidence deal so if i'm doing a scout hunt i'm probably going to bring some of those probably maybe a dozen mallards maybe a few coots or um if there's divers in the area i might bring some of those because they're white they stick out if not maybe a couple pintails something for a little contrast so that that just kind of gives you a little idea of what we mean by be adaptable be flexible Yep. And kind of one tool, obviously depends on your area. Um, but if I don't think there's going to be like a lot of down trees or just in general, if the area seems like you're going to be able to get a jet sled through it, I would bring a jet sled, jet sled on a scout hunt. Cause obviously um, you're not going to want to drag a kayak or a boat down there if you're trying to cover ground, but you can cross, especially smaller channels with a jet sled, um, you know, using that kind of just to, propel you not necessarily using it as a boat but using it to balance yourself and cross some a little bit deeper water um so yeah if you're scouting out a new marsh and you don't really know the depth don't know if there's going to be any channels through there um having that jet sled can just kind of add a little bit of a level of safety where you at least have something to fall back on if you do run into some deeper water absolutely well, I guess, uh, oh, one other thing here for during season scouting, and we'll bring it back to the online, uh, look at migration reports. There's, you know, like the my, the DU migration map. Um, take I'm that with saying, a grain of salt. Take, yeah, because people will post false reports on there, but you can kind of get maybe some ideas of where the migration is, where the birds are, if anything's even moving. Um, so that's, you know, that can be another tool. I, like Thomas said, do not rely on that solely because <laughs> I've seen all kinds of, uh, false reporting on there, but it, 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 for a general idea of if there are birds moving through your state or your area, it can help. Yeah. I'd say it's like a, I don't know what it is these days. I haven't really used it much the last couple of seasons, but, um, when I was using it, I'd say it's like 50, 50, 50% are going to be bogus or people aren't going to provide enough information to really be useful. Um, and then the other 50% are going to give you a general idea of uh, what is going on there. And one thing I would not recommend is like naming specific areas that you're hunting. I've seen that before guys who 
you know, get too in depth into it. I hunted such and such. We shot this and this and this on this date. So I don't really think that's what the migration report is for. I think it, it would be best used for everybody. If anybody's going to post on there to give a general uh, description of what is around the area instead of here's where I hunted and when I hunted and what we did. So, um, yeah, just a little tip for that. And then one other kind of online tool I have um, would be BirdCast. It's something that's kind of newer. I started using it about two years ago, so I kind of swapped out looking at uh, the DU migration map. And now I use, uh, now I look at the BirdCast during the season. And uh, I guess I'm not 100% on how it works, but from a, my general understanding, uh, it uses kind of radar stations, weather stations throughout the country. Um, and it's just looking at the overall amount of birds that are moving at any given time period. So it's not strictly waterfowl. Um, that is one thing to remember, but it does show you um, kind of general bird movements. And um, I know I really started using it last year up here in Minnesota. Um, and when you know, we were seeing high levels of bird activity in this area or bird activity moving out of North Dakota. That was when I tended to see good hunting here. So I definitely saw strong correlations last year. Again, this, I wouldn't rely on it 100%, um, but build it into kind of what you use for scout. I think it would be a good thing to build into what you use for scouting to get an idea of uh, should, you know, should, is it worth going out and scouting today? Um, so, one thing I think we probably should touch on, Matt, um, and it's something I know I've had some question on, is people wondering when is the best time of day to scout and is it worth scouting in the middle of the day? So what's your take on that? My take is there's never a wrong time to scout. If you want to, the best time to scout, though, if you had the choice, is when you plan on hunting. So if you want to hunt early morning, you probably should scout that time. If you want to hunt afternoon, Scout then, because where those birds are or where they're going, that's going to tell you if you're going to hunt a good spot or not. Uh, that That's my take on it. Yeah, I would say I think it, it kind of changes as the weather changes. Um, if you have more, if you have above freezing temperatures, you know, I think in general, and obviously we're kind of not talking about fields here, we're talking more about water, I'm talking more about water. In general, you're gonna if birds are on a place in the morning, they're probably gonna stay on it all day unless they're unless they're pushed off by a boat or by a hunter. Um, you know, if they're on a good food source in the morning, I don't really think they're gonna leave and go. Especially ducks aren't gonna leave and go to a loaf and then come back in the evening. So, I think you know if you're looking at above freezing temperatures, you can scout any time of the day looking at water um, and feel pretty confident about going back there for a morning hunt and the birds coming in um, at some point. Obviously, or I guess not obviously, because I didn't really realize this until a, few, a couple of seasons ago, but as the temperatures get below freezing, birds are going to wait later and later in the day to go out and feed. So um, let's say you see birds on the water at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, they might not be going, you know, they might not be going out to feed or especially this is kind of pertains more to a field. You know, if you see birds in a field at two o'clock, it might not, and you know, it's 20 degrees outside, it might not be worth going out there right at first light the next day. Um, those birds, a lot of times are going to wait until the warmest time of the day to go out and feed once you get below freezing temperatures, because they're more than likely trying to keep an ice hole open, um, 
or it's just kind of, even if they're not keeping a nice hole open, it tends to be what they do um, is wait till the warmest times of the day. So that's just uh, kind of something to think about. Um, you know, if you are looking to go out and scout, kind of pay attention to what your temperatures are um, and kind of the general weather conditions around. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know there's times um, where I can remember, you know, the high was only maybe 10 degrees, five degrees, whatever. And on those days, if the birds did fly, it wouldn't be till two or three in the afternoon. So, I mean, you might as well sleep in or go scout because <laughs> there's nothing else like those. There's nothing moving unless they got bumped by something. But I mean, if you knew where the roost were and you like, just leave them, let them be, but you can scout those and be like, yep, birds are still here. Birds haven't left. And yeah, that it's crazy. The difference in, you know, really cold temperatures it plays on the, on the fowl. Yeah. And I guess one other thing to add, um, for like scouting ducks on water, particularly is your, your scout, how you scout is probably going to change based on what time of day you're scouting. Like if you can scout in that first, you know, 30 minutes before sunrise to 30 minutes after sunrise, I would say that's the sweet spot for scouting ducks on water. That is, if you can get out, that is when to get out because a lot of times you can just stand on a high spot or somewhere in the marsh on the edge of the marsh and watch for movement, get a really good idea of where birds are naturally going into that marsh, especially if there's not other hunters out there um, and you don't have to go out there and disturb it at all. Versus if you're scouting later in the morning, kind of if that morning flight has ended, um, you might have to walk out in the marsh and be look. You know, a lot of times, one thing I do is I listen. Um, and a lot of times if I can hear birds talking in a hole, I'm not even going to go over there and mess with them. I'm going to leave them be because I don't want to flush them out of there. But um, later in the day, you're probably going to have to put do more boots on the ground, scouting, more walking around, looking for birds, listening for birds. Uh, flushing birds to get an idea of where birds are uh, hanging out in uh, kind of a swamp, marsh, whatever. I'd also to add to that is, you know, take note of what species are out there too. Um, just for how you set your decoy spread, maybe for what you want to call and not even just waterfowl species, you know, like I mentioned, kind of, I like, I like running coot decoys. We have coots in a lot of areas across my area and, a lot of times those big rafts of coots will pull ducks away. So I'm running coot decoys if I can. Uh, they're big, they're black, they offer good contrast to other decoys. So those can help, you know, maybe there's herons in your area. Maybe there's swans in your area. Um, decoys like that can also help. They can be added confidence. Um, so those are other things to kind of take note of, as well as, you know, like I said, to geese. Geese can be a good confidence decoy, even if you're not hunting them yeah I, I think that's one thing we've touched on probably before but yeah i mean i don't goose decoys never hurt in my opinion um even if you're not seeing geese out there like you said you know doesn't hurt to bring two or three goose decoys out um possibly even more so i guess one last thing i would like to touch on is just kind of what i do with onyx because i feel like onyx is a huge part of my scouting um and I think I maybe, maybe I do, or maybe I don't do some kind of particular things with it that I feel like make my scouting more efficient. Um, so I'm just going to, like, I have a short little list here. I'm just going to kind of run down it. But um, one thing I do is I have colored pins or like a, um, I guess, a what would you call that, Matt? Like a color system? 
Yeah, a code, like a different color code. Or, yeah, color code. Color. yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I have color-coded <laughs> pins. So, like, I have, you know, a specific color as public land. I have a specific color as private land, no private land without access. I have a specific color for private land that I have access to, a specific color for refuges, um, a specific color for a spot that I saw someone hunting recently. Um, and it, it goes on from there, but those are kind of the main five. So I feel like that makes my scouting more efficient. Um, I'm able to, if, you know, if I, let's say I'm scouting early in the morning before I would really want to knock on anybody's door, I'm going to roll around and look at the public land spots around here. Um, if I'm scouting around midday where I, you know, could go knock on someone's door, especially in the evening, you know, I'll go check out private spots. So, um, having that color coded system, I think helps a lot understanding the layers um for your state i think is another big thing like in virginia um we have state leased access it's not a very big program but in other areas it is do y'all have one matt like walk in i don't know they call it different things in every state but like walk-in hunter access or stuff like that yeah so you're talking like well yeah you just said weha that's kansas um we have what's called ofw open fields and wildlife or water open fields and waters i think that's it yeah so, yeah that that's ours they pay yeah. landowners to allow public access yeah and yeah so most times onyx has a layer for that it's kind of an overlooked layer it's easy to be overlooked layer because obviously kind of when you open up a layer for a state it's private land public land um and that goes down to some kind of more niche layers so uh, definitely turn that one on like for North Dakota you have an e-posted layer that's a really important one to have turned on if you're hunting out in North Dakota um, and then you have kind of at the bottom below all the states you have some other layers that I think can be really useful you have the crop layer which came out a couple years ago so that shows um, the crops that were in a field last season so it's not current to this season um, but if you understand the crop rotation in your area it can help you predict what crop is going to be in a field um, for the current season, you have possible access. So that's going to be like nature conservancy groups, um, timber companies, you know, in some states you can hunt that type of land. Um, it's kind of, it's either formal, you know, it, I don't know what to call it. Like you just, it's not stuff that you can trespass on. Like I know up here in Minnesota last year, I, and I'm not going to say this, I'm not going to say this definitively because I don't want someone to get a ticket for me, but I saw a lot of people hunting nature conservancy land up here last year. Um, so it seemed to be kind of a general rule of thumb that either it wasn't policed or enforced um, on no trespassing. I never saw no trespassing signs up on that um, con nature conservancy land either. And then a couple other ones would be uh, other layers to turn on or look at for your area would be the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Hunt Area. Um, that'll show you like the refuges in your area. It'll show you what allows hunting and what doesn't. And then wetlands. Um, there's a wetland layer. This one is kind of area specific. I know in Minnesota, it doesn't work at all because we're so flat where I'm at that everything shows up as a wetland because everything holds water in the spring. Um, but in Virginia, it really helps you identify the swamp chains. So, uh, you know, I can turn on that wetland layer and I can see the different swamp, swamp chains in my area and um, kind of focus on scouting those. So those are just some kind of layers to turn on. And then the last thing I had was just a couple tools that I use a lot for Onyx is the tracking feature. So if I'm taking a big, let's say I'm doing a scout hunt, I'm 100% going to turn on the tracking feature for a scout hunt. It's going to help me, number one, identify what spots I've already scouted and help me, you know, not be walking around in circles. And then number two, 
let's say I'm punching through some thick cattails, you know, making kind of a path, it's going to have, it's going to give me an exact track on my path so that if I go in there to hunt the next day, I already have that path mapped out and I don't have to cut a new trail through the cattails. And then I don't know if this is a new one or not, but I just kind of noticed it a few days ago, but it's called the build, build route tool on Onyx. And so you can literally drop pins, like drop three or four pins around and it'll draw you like a roadmap for like the most efficient route. So it's something I've, I've done it like without using that tool for a couple of years now, you know, I'll look at kind of everything I want to scout in the day and I'll use the line tool to plot out the shortest route around there. But uh, that's seems like a really cool tool and something I'm going to be trying out and use a lot this season. So yeah, just some stuff for Onyx. I don't know. I don't know what percentage of the hunting population is using Onyx. I feel like it's probably a large percent. Um, if you aren't using it, I would recommend it. I feel like it makes my scouting a lot more efficient, but um, yeah, just some things that I, I do specific for Onyx. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, ha- I have Onyx. I, I drop pins. I don't get too in depth with it, but it is, it is a nice feature and there's other apps out there too. So just mm-hmm. kind of some stuff to keep in mind, but that puts us about an hour and I think we kind of flesh this one out pretty good. Um, we can just enter here, do another one here sometime, but yeah. Thanks for listening guys. Be sure to go check out the Facebook group, Battlefront podcast group. Appreciate that. Leave us a five-star review. If you think we deserved it, check out Thomas's YouTube channel, Hoke Outdoors, but don't do that for a couple months. Cause I'm about to catch him. <laughs> And you can check out mine, Hyperi Sportsman, and we'll catch you on the next one. See you. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.